0: Out of the Fourth Place, Chapter 9, Church in Exile. My family and I moved in 2010 to Denver, Colorado, so I could go to Denver Seminary. Our first October in our new neighborhood, a bunch of other dads invited me to take part in their Halloween tradition. They would take the kids out trick-or-treating while pulling a wagon full of beer for the men. The moms would stay back home and drink wine. Welcome to Colorado. While out on the streets, I started up a conversation with one of the men as he smoked on his pipe. We quickly realized that we were both followers of Jesus. He found out that I was attending Denver Seminary, and I learned that he was the president of a church planning organization called Communitas International. Yes, I met Dudley while trick-or-treating. Somehow, God, in his wisdom, planted us right in the middle of his family's mission to love their neighborhood. You can imagine our shock in happening upon someone with such a similar heart, having just moved out of our Tacoma neighborhood where we had invested years of our lives in shared mission with some of our best friends. Dudley has an incredible heart for his neighbors. People trust him. They randomly show up on his porch for a beer and a conversation about life. He is a great listener. More interested in the right questions than the right answer. One of my favorite memories of Dudley was watching him baptize a married couple from the neighborhood at a nearby lake. Half the people who lived on the street, believers and not, were in attendance. Dudley ended up mentoring me through my seminary process. Along the way, we started a spiritual discussion group with several other neighborhood families, some professing Christians, others not sure how to label themselves. In our first few gatherings, we shared with each other the story of our own spiritual journey. One of the women in the group I had met through coaching her daughter's soccer team. Our daughters were close friends. When she shared her story, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. She detailed experience after experience of spiritual abuse and betrayal brought about by leaders in their church. It was no wonder she wanted nothing to do with organized religion. Over time, people slowly began to trust each other and feel a sense of safe community. People who formerly expressed anger at church started referring to our group as neighbor church. One night, Dudley had just come home from a trip to Europe and was explaining what the Communitas churches were doing about the recent Syrian refugee crisis. I remember Dudley feeling such a burden for the refugees, what he described as the collateral damage of other people's bombs and decisions. Dudley felt frustrated that he could do so little from so far away in Denver. After he shared, the same woman who had been so hurt by the church said, I know you are concerned for the refugees, but I just want to thank you for being here with us. We feel like spiritual refugees. We are the collateral damage of the church's abuse, and you are helping us pick up the pieces. I open with this story simply to say that this idea of church and culture is real. This is not just good theory for the classroom or the ivory tower of academia, This impacts real lives. God made the temple into flesh, and it matters for you, and it matters for your neighbors. Out of love, God tore his presence from behind the curtain and moved into the neighborhood. Some people will still show up at our buildings on Sunday mornings, but most won't. Most don't even have church on their radar. Most aren't thinking about which church to attend or which one has the best preacher. Most people don't even care. Many that do care are angry with church. All of that stuff we do during the week to prepare for great services has no impact on their lives. The Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, captures reality pretty well. Father Mackenzie writing a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. People simply aren't coming to our buildings. Those who actually do show up aren't seeing Jesus. They are seeing worship bands and hearing sermons. As Dudley says, My unchurched neighbors aren't waiting for churches to adjust their preaching style or music in order to show up. They're waiting for people to actually live and act like Jesus. How can people see Jesus if the church, his body, will not come to them? We need to talk about place if we are to be a living demonstration of God's reconciliation in the world, a visible demonstration of the love of God. The basic principle of an integrated church regarding place is this. We do church from within culture, not separate from it. Out of the fourth place. We must leave the fourth place because that's what God did in Christ. He left behind the days of religion as a holy place where holy people do holy things. And he sent his son right into the mess and beauty of his broken creation from here to here. Note to the audio listener, there's a four-quadrant diagram, again, with the arrow pointing from the upper left, our place, our thing, down diagonal to the lower right, their place, their thing. Jesus left our place. He didn't invite people to a sacred building. He was the building. He didn't bring them before a holy priest. He was the priest. He didn't create a liturgy or culture or formal worship practices. He was the sacrifice. As followers of Jesus, if we are to match our medium with our message, we are to do the same. So where do we start? Into the first, second, and third place. I want to propose a way to think about and practice place, starting from Oldenburg's model of first, second, and third places. The places we live, work, and play. As we have seen, our current concept of church has occupied a fourth place, formal public life. So how do we come out of the fourth place? We come out of our religious buildings and integrate our churches, our spiritual families, into the normal fabric of our surrounding culture. If you are not starting from an existing building-based context, this will mean starting church from the context of relationships in first and second and third places. If you are starting with a building, this will mean both converting your building or parts of it into first, second, or third places, as well as creating a culture in your church that sees ministry outside the building as equally, if not more valid, than ministry inside the building. This chapter will give you ideas for what both approaches can look like. Wherever you are starting from, a key biblical image and theological foundation that will help us navigate how to do church within culture is the Old Testament story of the Exile. A woman in our neighbor church claimed to be a spiritual refugee. Refugees and exiles have a lot in common. Neither feel at home in their world. As we explore the exile, we will see how to engage our world without losing our identity. As Christ followers, we will see that it is possible to be both fully identified with Christ and fully integrated with our world. Exiles Intention Now, some of you may be wondering how the church can keep its identity and passion alive if we let go of our buildings. We know that our buildings have led to much of our dysfunction, but they also keep us grounded. When someone attends a service and says with a sigh of relief, I have finally found my church home, we see that our buildings and events give us a sense of security and identity. They give us a sense of home. As we think about leaving the fourth place, and integrating with our culture, a couple of questions are sure to come up. Where do we find our identity if not in our buildings? How do we affirm and engage our culture without giving up what it means to follow Christ? How do we integrate with our world without losing the gospel? These are great questions, and they speak of the tension believers experience in trying to be relevant to the world and yet retaining our own unique Christian identity. Thankfully, the Bible is not silent about answering these questions. During their period of exile, God's chosen people were removed from their homeland and brought into captivity in Babylon. Jews whose very lifestyle and culture centered around the temple system were now forced to live in a country they despised. Struggling to know how to live, the exiles received instructions from God through the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah 29, 4-7 While every fiber of their being longed to be back in their homeland, centering their lives around the temple, God told them to seek the prosperity of Babylon. Integrate with the people you despise. Touch the people who make you unclean. Pray for the city that conquered you and stole everything you hold dear. Do you feel the tension? How could God's chosen people defile themselves by integrating with their enemy, Babylon? How can the holy mix with the unholy? Jeremiah's instructions are a paradox, two seemingly impossible truths held together at once. It is so much easier to remove the tension, either fight against culture or succumb to culture. The exile gives us another option. The exile tells us it is a both-and. Not an either or. We are to maintain our unique identity that is countercultural, and we are to love and serve our Babylon. How do we do this? It starts with the example of Jesus, the model exile. Jesus the exile. Jesus lived this tension perfectly. In fact, the tension was sown into his very being. Jesus is fully God and fully human, fully of the Spirit and fully flesh and blood fully separate from culture in his identity, purity, and holiness, and fully a Jewish male who had to get up and go to work like the rest of us. The incarnation is a picture of exile, God himself without his home. If the church's purpose is to be a living picture of reconciliation with God, with each other, and with the world, the way to accomplish this is to pattern our churches after Jesus, the Exile. You see, temples, priests, and rituals are the natural way for Christians to resolve the tension. We don't use these words, of course. We call them facilities, staff, and programs. After all, what does every exile long for? Home. It is natural for Christians to want our own religious complexes or place. It feels safe. It gives us a secure identity. And after we get our promised land, just like Israel, we ask for a king, people. We want a successful senior pastor. We want a figurehead to lead our cause. Finally, we want our own worship culture practices. We want comfortable sounds, lyrics, and smells that will protect our families from the influences of the world. Our temple forms, our fourth places, resolve the cultural tension. Jesus, on the other hand, stands in opposition to these easily resolved tensions. Jesus' life represents a life in exile, He left his home in heaven and chose a life with no place to lay his head. He refused to become king by force. Rather than demanding temple excellence, he healed the blind and the lame. He sought the peace of his beloved Jerusalem. What was true of Jesus must be true of the church. We are to leave behind our place and make our home in our culture. The writers of the New Testament identify the church as a community in exile, Peter opens his first letter stating Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. James opens his letter, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. He uses the images of the twelve tribes scattered to identify them as the people of exile. The writer of Hebrews encourages Christians to stay strong by exemplifying the heroes of faith. He writes, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11:13 through 16 Jesus and the early church thought of themselves as strangers in a country not their own, and so must we. And yet there is a balance. Though we are people of exile, we are also people of the promise. Though we live in human bodies, even now we have the down payment of our future inheritance, the promised Holy Spirit. There is a now and not yet nature of the kingdom in which we live. We are strangers within our culture. And yet, Paul writes the following in Ephesians two nineteen 19-22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and raises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is not a contradiction. It is a tension. We are strangers in the physical world, yet we are being built into a temple in the spiritual realm. We have no home, yet we are at home in Christ. We are a living temple, only you can't see it with a physical eye. Not yet. Not while we are still in exile in the world. The ages have overlapped. We are at once deeply satisfied in Christ, and yet we long for the reconciliation of all things, the true return to our promised land. How then do we live in this tension? We come out of the fourth place. We refuse to build a physical temple. We refuse to build our perfect home. Instead, we focus on building a spiritual home, a network of people right in the midst of culture. A new starting place. Here is how we typically practice church. We start with our thing in our place and we work outward. Even our terms like outreach reveal our fundamental orientation which puts our building at the safe center of religious life. Note to the audio listener, in this diagram, it has the left side of the quadrants, our thing, our place, and the our thing, their place, shaded in. Most of what we call church happens in the building. This includes worship services, staff office hours, counseling, Bible studies, women's ministry, discipleship classes, and youth group. Some churches also move out into the Our Thing, Their Place quadrant. This is our small groups program in the home. But regardless of what else is added, the core of the church and the financial engine are attached to the building. Contrasted with this building-centric approach is the integrated church. An integrated church spends most of its time, energy, resources in the Their Thing, Their Place quadrant. Its gatherings take place in the Our Thing, Their Place quadrant. In either case, gathered or scattered, the life of the church happens in and among culture. In other words, an integrated church starts from the exact opposite side of the four quadrants. It looks like this. Note to the audio listener in this four quadrant chart, the bottom half is shaded in, with the their thing, their place being darker shaded in, and the our thing, their place being shaded in, but more lightly. An integrated church is able to do this because it is built on a fundamentally different foundation. A who, not a what. Church, as we have discussed at length, is not primarily an event in a building. Church is people. Church is a community, a spiritual family. If we believe this, then church must start not as an event, but as a relationship. We find our home not in our sacred space, but in our sacred family, our community. Exiles in Scotland Communitas International starts churches in culture. They don't start by trying to draw people to cool new events. They start by living among the people. Their first step of church planting is to simply embed within the culture for a period of time. One Communitas church planter couple is currently embedded in Leith, Scotland, a poorer city on the outskirts of Edinburgh. These church planners hang around the apartment complex commons. They show up at local restaurants. They spend time in the dirt and conversation of the community garden. As they do this, they meet people, they listen, and they begin to understand the needs of Leith. Communitas calls this listening process exegeting culture. They are discerning how the gospel and the culture need to intersect. They don't assume they are the first ones to bring God into that place. Instead, they are looking for what God is already up to. They do not assume what form the church gathering will take, They simply start from the posture of listeners, servants, and friends. Having embedded for some time, this young couple is currently working to start communities of faith in several apartments in their area, first places. Why apartments? Because they listened. This is where God provided their initial relationships. Gathering in apartments makes sense for that community. They started in their thing, their place, and they are slowly moving to include our thing, their place. As a community matures, like this. In this four-quadrant chart, it shows the bottom half uh, with buildings and people, and there's an arrow pointing from the bottom right, their thing, their place, to the bottom left, our thing, in their place. What started as seemingly random relationships in the first place, the apartment complex, and the third place, the community garden, are now turning into communities of faith, redemption of place, Coming out of the fourth place is not a rejection of holy places, but instead the affirmation that God has made possible the redemption of all places. The torn veil of the temple, as much as it had to do with allowing humans into God's presence, was just as much about God leaving the building. It represented a movement back to the everywhere worship of Eden. If Eden hadn't fallen, their thing, their place, is the only quadrant that would have ever existed. Remember, There were no religious buildings in Eden, no our place. There will be no religious buildings in the new heaven and the new earth. Their place is where people are born, get married, raise kids, and go to the baseball game. It is the place of our careers, dreams, productivity, art, politics, meals, families, and commerce. Their place is the place of discipleship. Why? Because this is where we learn how to live like Jesus in the world. This is where we learn to be truly human. To put us in the building is to remove discipleship from its natural context. It's like trying to teach someone how to fish by taking them to a seafood restaurant. It doesn't work. We learn to be a follower of Jesus as we follow him directly into the core of our humanity. Exiles in Santa Barbara A group of Communitas church planners embedded themselves in Santa Barbara, California. They watched, they observed, they listened, they listened they served, what they witnessed were two groups of people with vastly different needs. The first, they noticed, were the homeless, thousands of them. Homeless people would congregate in Pershing Park, a third place, so that's where they started to build friendships. They fed the people in the park, and as they did, a movement began, and more people joined in the efforts. While the needs of the homeless were obvious, the needs of the more affluent Christian community were less visible at first. Eventually, it became clear these more affluent believers were suffering from a deep consumerism and a real lack of faith. The church planners decided to do something about both needs. They gathered weekly in the park for a feeding program where both the homeless and the affluent learned from one another what it means to follow Christ. Along the way, they formed a group of committed friends that became known as the Ufetizi missional order, a new monastic community. Together, they have committed themselves to a rule of life that helps them maintain their unique identity as followers of Christ, and yet fully engage the needs of their city. Are they a church? Some reading this may be wondering where they gather and how often, whether they take communion and how big they are. If those are your first questions, you are still thinking of church as primarily an event in a building. You are thinking about a what, not a who. Do they take communion? Yes, every week in the park with 100 homeless people. Do they worship? Yes. They regularly lay down their lives sacrificially for trafficked women on the streets. This is a small group of Christ followers making a big difference as they seek the peace of Santa Barbara. They are a spiritual family on mission together. They are demonstrating reconciliation with God, with each other, and with their world. This is a church. This small, new monastic community will not likely be featured in Relevant Magazine. They do not care about stage design or lighting concepts. Still, they are a church, a beautiful expression of Christ's body on earth. Start and stay in culture. When we start in their place, we don't need to invite them to our buildings. We join them where they already live. We grab a coffee. We have a dinner. Our kids play together. We go to a game. Eventually, we share our spiritual stories. We listen. We offer our own story. We serve them when they have a need. We allow them to serve us when we have a need. We become family. The normalness of life together defines our relationship. When church attendance starts as an event in our place, we have to work really hard to keep people happy and make them stick. When church starts as a relationship, You already have the glue. You start with a normal relationship. You don't have to try to sell people or train greeters. You don't need flashy marketing materials. Connection is natural, not artificial. Eventually, normal life together might lead to gathered life as a community of faith. This movement simply indicates that we are gathering on purpose because we are Christians. That's what happened in our neighbor church in Denver. We were already sharing our spiritual journeys, Giving it a name and a regular meeting time simply made it official. Hugh Halter, in his book, Tangible Kingdom, describes a group of people, neither insiders nor outsiders, whom he calls sojourners. These are the people who are somewhere along the faith journey. They are checking out your community, but they are not yet committed to Jesus. The blurring of the bottom two quadrants makes this group possible. Since you spend most of your time in their place, They are part of your life and relational sphere. Since you gather in their place, they feel your community is accessible to them when they are ready to join. They don't have to make the leap from their place to our place, from their culture to our religious culture. That is a chasm many are simply not willing to cross, nor should they have to. An integrated church does not just start within culture, but intentionally stays within culture. Many school-based church planters long for the day they ditch the set-up trailer and have a church building of their own. But that is not the goal of an integrated church. We think more like Young Life and other parachurch organizations. The goal of Young Life is not to start up a club in a school in order to eventually raise enough money from families to one day leave the school and buy their own building. That would be ridiculous. Why? Because it violates the very purpose of Young Life to love kids where they are. Church is a who, not a what, and they put themselves in the right position to reach people for Christ. Exiles in France Two Communitas church planters moved to France to plant a church. They landed in a town that had recently been inundated with refugee families. As they began to embed within the community, it became quickly apparent that every civic entity, from the schools to the courts, was in a conundrum as to how to respond to the refugee crisis. They listened. They exegeted culture. Eventually, they found an opportunity to get certified as childcare workers and went to work helping mostly Muslim children integrate into the school system. They run an after-school program for tutoring, language development, and character formation. They take kids to adventure camps where they learn relevant life skills. In Muslim culture, to bless one's kids is to bless the entire family. They have now developed deep relationships with many Muslim families and were even invited by a Tunisian elder to accompany a recently deceased community member's body back to Tunisia and offer a prayer of blessing at their Muslim memorial service. Community is forming and the church is being birthed even among a primarily Muslim immigrant culture. Embedding within culture opens doors to connecting with people who will never enter our buildings. Exiles in St. Paul In Communitas Twin Cities, Deanna McCartan is catalyzing a community of people deeply committed to each other and to serving local needs. They run a winter boot drive in St. Paul, Minnesota to collect and give away thousands of boots every year. They have monthly access to a food truck that feeds enormous numbers of local homeless They don't use a building. They don't have a mortgage. Resources are free to bless the city. People participate in communion with God, community with each other, and service for the world. This church is a living picture of the exile, this time not in Babylon but in St. Paul. What would it look like to seek the peace of your city? What if you took all the time, energy, and money spent on maintaining a nice facility and put that towards your neighbor's? imagine what could happen. The power of a network. Communitas is just one example of a network supporting people around the world who are trying to be a church in the culture. There are many others. I am telling a lot of Communitas stories because I want you to experience church not as one individual building and its occupants, but as a relational network spread throughout the world. When we hear the stories of normal exiles scattered throughout a variety of cultures, we realize that we can be part of it. Church planting is not a sport for lone rangers on their heroic journey. Church planting is the work of a mature network who prays for each other, supports one another, and it releases people with a variety of gifts and passions into every corner of the globe. The danger of the ideal. Many people think about church planting with an end product already in mind, an ideal what? This is what I am called to do. For example, one might imagine that they are called to start a hipster-style worship service in a cool urban setting. This vision becomes a deeply held dream that all their efforts work to produce. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a lot to say about this approach in his book, Life Together. Every human wish-dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Bonhoeffer talks about the importance of starting with real people, a who. He encouraged people to learn to see Christ in each other, in real, broken, irritating people. Instead, today, we so often start with an ideal, a what and then attempt to force everyone into that vision. Bonhoeffer says this method of church will always be surrounded by human wisdom and selfish ambition. In my own experience, I have seen many wonderful people burned and rejected by church leaders because they didn't quite fit the pastor's vision of the ideal. In these cases, the problem is an improper starting point. They started with an ideal fourth place, their dream event in their dream space. They started with what they were trying to create and then manipulated those around them to help create it. That is not how an integrated church works. An integrated church starts with who? We embed within a place. We meet real people. We develop real relationships. We allow church to form naturally out of the actual people who are part of the community. It's messy because people are messy. There is nothing ideal about it. That's the beauty of church. That's the gospel. God takes broken people and calls us beautiful. Church is a who, not a what. So then, if the most important question is who, what does that mean about place? It means that church can form anywhere there are people. While it may sound obvious, our obsession with the ideal often limits the wonderful possibilities of places where we can find people. Maybe you have a vision in your head of a coffee shop church. Maybe it's a brewery church. Maybe it's a concert venue church. Great. Maybe God will use one of those expressions of church in the third place. But don't start with the event in mind. Start with the people in mind. Listen to them. Who are they? What are their dreams? Where do they want to gather? Using the model of first, second, and third places may open up some ideas you have never considered. First place church forms. The most obvious type of first place church is the house church. Networks of house churches are a beautiful way to integrate with the first place. Beyond the primary residence, we need to reach apartment complexes. Many of them have common spaces that could be used for a gathering. Apartment life is a ministry with a great model to love and reach people in multifamily units. Remember, there's more to the neighborhood than just homes. Dudley and I saw about 40 neighbors come out of a Christmas party we threw at our local neighborhood swim club. Some of these same people were eventually a part of neighbor church. Second place church forms. What about work? What types of gathering spaces does your work provide? Many offices have conference rooms, cafeterias, or exercise facilities that are great places to gather. When I worked at Russell Investments, a group of about 10 of us met weekly before work to discuss a book and pray for each other. Statistics show that by the year 2020, 40% of the workforce will operate outside the traditional office space. To meet the need for community among a largely independent workforce, co-working businesses are popping up all over the world. Communitas actually owns and operates one called The Guild in Inglewood, Colorado, What if you joined a co-working space and got groups together for lunch or to view a TED Talk on a popular business topic? What a perfect place to connect with people, hear their business dreams, and share life. The second place for adults is work. But for kids and many others, it is school or college. What if you started building relationships by joining your local PTA? What if you helped tutor kids after school? Young Life and Youth for Christ have done a great job emphasizing contact work at schools. They hang out at the football games and risk humiliation in the middle school cafeterias for the sake of loving kids. What if you simply joined what they were already doing? One of the big questions about integrated churches is what to do with our youth. What if instead of hiring an expensive youth pastor, you partner with Young Life? A volunteer from your community could lead a Young Life small group, campaigners, and take advantage of the amazing camps, service opportunities, discipleship, and training young life has to offer. There is no need to reinvent the wheel for our teenagers. If adults are learning to get out of the fourth place and into the world, why shouldn't our kids? That's how we all grow to live more like Jesus. Third place church forms. The church has done a pretty good job thinking creatively about third places. We have churches meeting in concert venues, theaters, pubs, and coffee shops, However, too often we have only viewed these spaces as temporary locations until we can afford our own place. What if we were okay staying smaller and remaining where people gather? What if we were okay living as exiles permanently? Many other opportunities for third-place churches exist as well. What if we are in the suburbs? We may want to consider forming a church starting from the soccer field. How would we structure church if we thought of kids' activities as a blessing rather than a distraction? There are so many places people hang out that aren't even on the radar of many church planters. City councils, fitness centers, youth clubs, AA, the running community, the cycling community, and many others. Some of these may seem less cool, but that's the point. We start where people actually are. Where are the people in your world? Are you doing church with them? Or are you hiding in a church building trying to keep the machine running? What would it look like to leave the fourth place behind and seek the peace of your city together with a group of friends? Hope for the established church. Some of you are saying at this point, great. That sounds fun to hang out with people in the midst of culture, but we have a building with a mortgage. We have people who are accustomed to a particular way of doing church, and they expect me to be at my church office desk morning, noon, and night. Here is where good theory faces practical reality. Jesus said that new wine will often burst old wineskins. Maybe you are afraid that making huge changes will cause your congregation to implode. You may be right. This is where you have to be wise and prayerful in your application of this book. If you have a building and still want to make incremental change toward integration of place, the following chart can help you understand three potential directions for change. Note to the audio listener, this four-quadrant chart shows arrows pointing from the upper left, our place, our thing, to the three different uh, quadrants. A, pointing down to our thing, their place. B, pointing to the straight across to the right, our place, their thing. And C, pointing diagonally down to the bottom right, their place, their thing. A, our thing, their place. If you are in a church that focuses almost entirely in our place, the most obvious step is to balance it out with our thing, their place. Books like Simple Church, Sticky Church, and Discipleship offer great first steps for building out solid small group programs that get people out of the building and into the first place, the home. If you are already doing small groups but still struggling with the discipleship, there are many factors that play into this. Books like Building a Discipling Culture and ministries like Faith Walking can help churches move from surface-level commuter small groups, to more intentional discipleship. B. Their Thing, Our Place Another largely untapped opportunity for the established church might lie right in front of your nose, the building itself. Many churches are turning what used to be a religious-only zone into a legitimate first, second, or third place for the community. Perhaps this means starting a public coffee shop or leasing out some of your space to businesses. It could simply mean allowing AA, Girl Scouts, or the PTA to use your space. Perhaps you could be an emergency shelter for the Red Cross. In allowing your neighborhood to utilize your building for their needs, homes, businesses, and activities, you are blurring the lines between sacred and secular and reintegrating yourself into the fabric of your community. Opening up your church building to the community is not only fiscally preferable, but far better for your mission. North Seattle Church has a prime piece of lakefront real estate in the middle of Seattle. The church used to be a fortress within the neighborhood, only used for church activities, but that has all changed. Now, a choir organization and non-Christian preschool both lease space. The church opens the lakefront area for community barbecues and swimming each summer. They have converted an old classroom into the bridge coffee house. Eighty percent of the coffee shop revenue comes from the neighborhood. In other words, what was formerly a fortress has been accepted back into the community as a legitimate second and third place. What about your building? Can it be embraced by the neighborhood? Some buildings can. Some can't. Some are designed with such an insider's only mentality that they will never be an asset to the community. This is where you need wisdom. Will you end up pastoring a dying fortress, or are you ready to move on and integrate with your culture? A sidebar by Deadly Callison. In the mid-1800s, Westburn Grove became a large, vibrant congregation on the west side of London. The building grew to an early prototype of what we would call a megachurch today. London grew and changed, and the congregation became more remote as people moved out into the suburbs. Eventually, the membership shrank and the local neighborhood ignored the large, irrelevant facility on the corner. The membership became too small to maintain the facility. An innovative pastor came along and asked the key question, what would it take for this church to become relevant to our neighborhood again? The first problem was financial capital. To solve this, the church sold the roof structure to an apartment developer who converted the space into luxury lofts. The proceeds were used to renovate the remaining space into a modern-day community center, complete with a large hall for weddings, dances, and art exhibits. The other rooms were transformed for community classes, parties, language classes, children's clubs, and many other uses. Today, more than 1,000 groups book space in the church each year, and thousands of local people move in and out of the facility, the church staff manage the bookings and offer Christ-centered hospitality to all who enter. Through this, believers have come to know many of the neighborhood residents, opening doors to bless and minister in the name of Jesus, and the neighborhood loves them in return. See Their thing, their place. As a church, we are so used to creating an idea from the center and asking everyone to join us. We plan it and the congregation volunteers to help out. What if you flip this? What if you created a space for people to dream on their own about their own neighbors, streets, and civic issues? Instead of creating a tutoring program at your building, join an existing one at a school. Instead of building your own coffee shop and staffing it, drink someone else's coffee. Go to their event and join their parties. That is what Jesus did. Beyond these three directions, changes to the fourth place itself are also possible. Take a walk with your staff or an architect through your facility and ask the question, what are our forms saying? Is this a club for Christians or is this a safe place for everyone? Make changes. Install some windows so people can see in. Instead of having a door that looks like a gothic castle entryway, put in a glass door. Open up your lobby. Put in comfortable seating. Take down the wallpaper and cross-stitch. Instead, ask a local artist to display their work. Incremental change is possible, but prepare for opposition. Alan Roxborough, in his book, Introducing the Missional Church, offers a helpful model for moving a church through this difficult change process. Ultimately, you have to decide whether the benefits outweigh the costs. Whether you are part of a new wineskin of integrated churches or or part of the fourth-place wineskin hoping for incremental change. The end goal is the same. We are moving church toward integration of place. We do church where people live. We do church like Jesus, like exiles. onto other forms. Sounds pretty simple, right? Do church from within culture, not separate from it? Some of you may be thinking, yes, let's do it. Others are thinking, embedding and listening sounds nice. But a church planter needs to become self-sustaining and bring in a strong tithe. Otherwise, it will never work financially. You may be right. If integration with place were the only form that mattered, the financial model may be broken. It might not work. That is why we must talk about integration in our other two forms, people and practices. One without the other is a setup for failure or frustration. In fact, this is what many church planters are facing Those who are running church-in-a-box church plants knows what this feels like. They are attempting to integrate with cultural places. They meet in a school or a concert venue, so they store all of their worship stuff in a trailer instead of keeping it on a stage. Their place is integrated, but not their people or practices. They still set up everything for the standard leader on the stage and the typical worship set. Setting up for a fourth-place service in a shared third place every weekend is a lot of work. I suspect many of you know what I mean. There is hope. In the next chapter, we will address the integration of people. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? What does church look like when we flatten the mountains and raise up the valleys, blurring the divide between clergy and laity? In order to do church in the first, second, and third places of culture— we will need to fundamentally rethink our approach to Christian leadership.